Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor Fredrickson. And I'm Sam Hoganson. You ready to get started? Let's send it. Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode 14. And before we lose our minds and tear our hair out in this reaction to the Stanford game on Saturday, and the first thing we we typically do is introduce what each of us are are sipping on, but apparently one of our listeners last night was sipping on something because they left us quite the message this morning. Roll the tape. Hey boys, where's my game recap of the Huskies and the Stanford team, Cardinals? I expected it last night. Just wondering, slacking off on me? Talk to you. Hopefully this morning I get my recap. So Enoch, we are not holding out on you and we're not... We're not slacking. I'm sorry, buddy. Um, We were obviously a little torn up about the loss, so that didn't help us as far as motivation to get the podcast recorded last night. But there were also some extenuating circumstances that prevented us from doing so. So it was not just that we're slacking. We, for all intents and purposes, always are going to do some kind of post-game reaction episode. It's just whether it's going to happen right away. So obviously apologize to Enoch. And apologize to all of you loyal listeners out there who are expecting a reaction episode to be up this this morning. We're recording this on Sunday night, the 6th. So expecting it today, it will be up Monday morning. Um, so typically we're going to try to get these up, you know, the next day. But there are going to be circumstances outside of our control sometimes that prevent us from doing that. So we'll get it up as soon as possible for you guys, though, suffice to say. Coach Bagshaw from the grave. That's right, you know, from the grave. Yeah. One of our I, I, I can't believe I can't believe it would possibly be him, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe one of our listeners is a longtime Husky fan that remembers the player and Coach Bagshaw back in the day. I think he was <laughs> it was the twenties, right, Connor? We we we're like, yep. who is who is this person? So we try yep. to look them up, not trying to be creepy if you're an actual real person, I promise. But Turns out that Enoch Bradshaw Bragshaw was a Bagshaw. Bagshaw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got to get it right. Um, yep. Apologies, but uh, I don't want you to get all fired up and leave us another crazy <laughs> voice message. <laughs> I kind of do though. It's good content. Um, but yeah, we're sorry about that. Obviously, you're pretty fired up. Maybe it was a good thing that we gave you a day to cool off a little bit. But hopefully, you you enjoy the show tonight. So. Curious what he was sipping on. Connor, what are you sipping on tonight? Yeah, um, back to my scotch ways tonight. Um, I will take the L, and this is completely all my fault, guys. I told you. I did not drink scotch on Saturday in the second half. So I was drinking whiskey, but I was I was drinking Bullet, and apparently Bullet doesn't amount complete comebacks only partial comebacks so i should have had some scotch to wash it down to complete that comeback so my bad guys 
That's on me. Sam, what are you sipping on? Keeping it the OG here. Well, I guess I can't say that. It's not Jack Daniels, but I'm on the whiskey train <laughs> trying to finish this bottle of Pendleton. I don't know if I'm going to do it tonight or not, but I know if my boy Enoch Bradshaw, Bradshaw Bagshaw, Bagshaw, he's we'll going to be it. really mad. Uh, <laughs> oh, he's going to be if he, was, if he was here, we would be finishing this bottle for sure. So stick it no on doubt. the letter buck train for sure. Right on. It's a good choice. So. So we're going to get into this shit or what? Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, yeah. I mean, basically this was a pure failure across the board. Mm-hmm. I honestly think at this point, I I kind of am, there's just so much to unpack in this game. For sure. I feel like we should maybe even just go like position, position group by position. Yep, I think group. that's the easiest way to do it. But I think we both agree. Like a lot of this loss can be chalked up to the coaching staff. So we should probably yeah. just start there. What are your thoughts on how the coaches handled the game. Yeah, I mean, I talked about in my predict or in our prediction for this game that I didn't foresee us coming out as flat as we did against Utah. And what do we do? Another half halftime deficit of 21 points in back-to-back games. What the so hell? That I mean, that's that's entirely just coaching, scheme, and not getting your players prepared in the right way to start a game. Yeah. Like that, that's what it is. I mean, there, there's obviously, you know, whether it's effort execution, um, just it's definitely not a talent disparity. We know that. So. It, yeah. I mean, from, from what I saw, I definitely felt like we were the more talented team and mm-hmm. especially as the second half was unfolding it felt like we were really in control of things outside of that final drive where Stanford just killed the clock and killed the game. But it's just frustrating to do that two weeks in a row and, you know, to repeat the same mistakes in such a horrendous way in back-to-back weeks is really tough to see. And I'm sure the coaches and the players are, just as pissed, if not more pissed than we are about it. But I can't help but think possibly there was some distractions earlier in the week and leading right up to game day. I know it probably hasn't been reported on a ton. I know UW and Coach Jimmy Lake keep these things pretty tight to the chest, but it did sound like through the rumor mill that there were some concerns that we were going to not be able to field the team due to uh, contact tracing and some COVID protocols. So I think we were for sure dealing with some of that throughout the week and whether or not that carried over into the first half, maybe, but it's also hard. Like we've done it twice in a row now. Like I don't want to chalk that up just to the distraction. I'm sure it probably played some role in it, but just really disappointed that we didn't come out and carry some momentum forward from that, you know, heroic comeback against Utah to come out flat like that. And basically just, you know, bought the Stanford Cardinal 21 points in the first half again. Like that's not a recipe for success at all. No, definitely not. And it's a good call out, you know, the, the whole COVID contact tracing element of things and, 
uh, through the rumor mill, that was the case that there was definitely some kind of crossing of fingers up until like the last testing the night before the game um, that this would this game would be able to happen. Um, at the same time, Sam, though, Stanford Stanford had even more to overcome as far as distractions. <laughs> like, I mean, they they've practiced in Seattle, came up to Seattle like they can't even practice in at Stanford in Palo Alto. Like they came right. up to Seattle on Tuesday, I think. Yep. And practiced a little bit at Dempsey Indoor, I think, at UW. UW was allowing them to practice at on on campus at um at the Dempsey. And then on fucking Thursday, they're practicing at Bellevue fucking park. Like well, the funniest thing about that is they it sounds like they were actually doing their walkthroughs and their their practice on the top floor of Bellevue Square's parking lot until they okay. got kicked out oh my by security. God. See, so they, like, they walked a block and a half or whatever it is to Bellevue Downtown Park. Mm-hmm. What a nightmare. But I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, they definitely had their own things to deal with, but they looked really sharp compared yeah, to they us. Did. And give David Shaw all the credit in the world. We talked him up in our predictions episode for this this last game against Stanford, yeah. David Shaw's a damn good coach, and we have a lot of respect for him. Even if Stanford um, isn't quite to like their usual level, they're definitely a well-coached team. They're a sound team. You know that they're going to show up on Saturday, and they're going to feel the competitive team. And we saw that, and we didn't see that from the Huskies, uh, especially in that first half. And uh, this is... This is part of having a young coach, I think, folks. Like, there's going to be yeah. some of these just head scratching games that um, that a lot of it amounts to just not having that experience in that head coaching role. And I think, I think, I, I think I speak for Sam whenever I say this. I think Jimmy Lake's going to be a fantastic head coach, and <clears throat> I don't, I don't put too much weight into this game as far as just like taking a step back, looking broader picture and seeing the future of this program under Jimmy right. Lake for, you know, the, you know, hopefully the next four to five years, I'm not willing to commit to much further than that, just because I think he's going to rise up these coaching ranks pretty quick here as far as uh, possibly some vacancies in the NFL past that, but we'll see. <clears throat> Nonetheless, though, I, th- I think, um, I think, I think Jimmy takes a big L for this performance on Saturday. I just, I, and to, to our points, I mean, to do it two weeks in a row, that's, that's the main thing that I keep coming back on. And maybe there was different, different circumstances to the reasons why, but it led to the same outcome. Like you came out flat, you got completely blown off the ball on both sides of the ball really, but especially um, the opponent's offensive lines against our defensive line was just, it's been atrocious. Like they're, it's, it's not the Husky football that I have come to expect as far as expectations go and revolving around the the defense. Yeah. And I think that's just been one of the frustrating things about it as well. And I think as we kind of go position group to position group, this theme will kind of enter the conversation 
depending on which group we're talking about. But one of the things with this coaching staff that I've been the most disappointed in is our, some of our personnel choices have just been really head scratchers for me. And I know I will, I will definitely call a spade a spade and I am probably one of the biggest armchair coaches out there. But at the same time, like I've watched a lot of football. I feel like I do understand the game at a fairly advanced level. And to see some of these things personnel-wise happen over and over again and not see things change is really a difficult thing for me to swallow as a fan. Um, and I think we'll get into some more of the nuanced, specific scenarios we're talking about as we go position by position but you know right off the top you're playing Stanford there's no secret on what they're going to do David Shaw has you know made his money running heavy you know six offensive linemen two tight ends four formations running the ball and we just we stuck in our base nickel for almost the entire first half I saw a couple of times in the second half we adjusted to our goal line formation on some early running downs, and that seemed to really help kind of force Stanford into some third and longs. But it just felt like we were too stubborn with our defensive philosophy and scheme early on. And I guess for some of the listeners that aren't totally following what I'm saying is in our base nickel defensive formation is really built to kill the pass the passing game particular it's why we've dominated Mike Leach in the Apple Cup so much is our defense is predicated on two down linemen, two outside linebackers, two inside linebackers, and five DBs. And when your fifth DB is taking on a tight end or an offensive lineman in the running game, you're gonna run into some issues. And we saw that time and time again, particularly in the first half, just getting totally, you know, we're not able to set the edge because we have some lighter personnel that aren't as sturdy and strong to hold their own against some of the bigger players that Stanford's putting out in their offensive scheme. And I just was shocked that it took us so long to kind of adjust to that. Um, and then again, like, Position by position, there are some interesting things going on there too, which I keep alluding to because I'm trying to practice some restraint, just like diving right into it. But I'll leave it a little bit at the more broad coaching personnel scheme level and get your thoughts on that, Connor. Yeah, I think I think you're right pretty much about all of that. Um, God. Personnel is a really big thing. And I know that both of us kind of have some interesting thoughts on that. And we can go into that here in a few minutes. But I think this always all like, especially when you're playing a team like Stanford, it's going to start in the trenches. Right. And you know that they're going to come out physical and you have to match that. And goes back to you know one of one of the things that UW football was big big time hyping up this last week and after the the comeback against Utah was you know we knew that Utah was going to come out throwing punches 
And then like the whole halftime speech was Jimmy Lake all round the guys up about, okay, now it's our turn to throw haymakers. It's our turn to throw some punches. And so, I mean, it's Stanford is arguably an even more physical team typically than Utah is. So it's not like this should have been unexpected. You had that point earlier, just like that David Shaw has an established system, how he likes to win. And it's, typically with size with physicality running the ball time of possession playing solid defense you know all the things that we we like to think that UW UW does for the most part as well not quite to probably the heavy packages and formations that Stanford does but you know the same the same general game game plan is is how the Huskies try to win as well um and you just saw I mean, look at the time of possession. That was one of the things that we always circle and Stanford comes out on top 32 to 27. It felt even worse than that though. It definitely did. I would be curious to know what the first half was. (laughs) Yeah. The first half I'm sure was probably like 20 to 10, at least is my guess. If not worse than that. Um, I mean, they were just, they were, they were whatever they wanted to run on offense it was working like whatever they wanted to do. Like, this is just, this is flat out just being out schemed and be like playing checkers. while David Shaw is playing chess over there. Like he is seeing, he is seeing things on our defense and there's some specific matchups that I think he definitely took advantage of. And some, a couple of players that we had out that I think he keyed in on as well, Mm -hmm. um, both on offense and on defense, but especially when they were on offense and we were on defense. And Stanford was just moving the, moving the ball up and down the field on us. Uh, yeah, I mean, those are – that's just like, again, just like broad strokes takeaway there. But I do – I mean, do you want to start on position groups here as far as just like going like – Yeah, let's start defensively. I think we've sure. kind of like touched on that a little bit here on the higher level. So, I mean, we should probably just start right there in the trenches, like you were saying. That's really where things start and stop when it comes to playing against the Stanford Cardinal. And I think you alluded to it in terms of not having some of the players that we would rely on out there. I think this is a game where you really recognize and realize how much someone like Ryan Bowman means to this team. Mm Mm-hmm. And he missed his second game in a row. I think the general consensus out there believes that it's COVID related. So if that's the case and he's missed two weeks, the hope is that he'll be back for the Oregon game, which I think will make a significant positive impact. Um, Especially in the running game. Yeah. And what we mean by that is he's just, I mean, they call him the Rhino for a reason. He's short, but he's super strong, very stout, 280 pounds, extremely strong guy. He's a fifth-year senior, so he's 21, 22 years old at least. And his ability to set the edge and really physically hold his own against the Stanford offensive line is something that we sorely missed. And what we ended up seeing a lot of was – our true freshman, Savelle Smalls, 18 years old. He's a you know prolific talent in his own right. But I think his lack of both physical and mental maturation was exposed by David Shaw and the Stanford offense. They ran his way a lot. 
and he, you know, physically didn't seem to totally have the strength required to really set that edge and make the running backs turn it up towards the middle of the field and filter that play back towards our, you know, our playmakers and the people that are supposed to be making tackles on our defense being our inside linebackers. And instead you see the running backs being able to bounce runs outside and that's just a recipe for disaster. So, I mean, I don't mean to pick on him. I think he's going to be a really, really solid player and potentially a great player for us when it's all said and done with his Husky career. It's really great learning experience and game, you know, live bullets, game reps that he's getting. So he'll improve, but not having that fifth-year senior solid defensive end outside linebacker really helping set that run in the or set the edge in the running game is something that we sorely miss. And even on passing downs, the versatility of being able to bump Ryan Bowman inside and get some more pass rush up the middle on the third and longs, especially, you know, that last drive would have been really helpful trying to get us off the field. So I look at that as being a a real catalyst to what we saw in terms of the UW defense getting exposed. And similarly to what I called out in the Utah game, was one of the ways that we dealt with Ryan Bowman's absence was by bumping Josiah Bronson, who's typically a defensive tackle for us outside to that outside linebacker position. And that pretty much means we're relying on redshirt freshmen at the DT spot inside. And again, similar story to Savelle Smalls. Like I just don't feel like they're there yet from a strength perspective to really be able to hold their own against some of these bigger Stanford O-line. And I will eat some crow here. I know on my review of Stanford's previous game against Cal, their interior lineman did not look good. Their center, their left guard, their right guard got beat up bad by Cal's interior D-line. I thought that was going to be you know, opportunity for us to kind of expose that a little bit, but they played outside their mind and they absolutely dominated our our D-line. I don't know what it, I'm imagining you saw the same thing as I did because it was pretty freaking obvious. Yeah, and it was just, it's so demoralizing whenever you're watching your football team just get completely blown off the ball the way that we were on Saturday. Down after down, play after play, drive after drive, and not us, us to not even really be able to like address it or fix it like throughout the game. They were better in the second half, but that last drive, that's exactly what they were doing when they ran out the clock on us. Like it was the exact same thing as the first half. So yeah. um, personnel wise, I, I think the, I think Ryan Bowman, like you said, is a, a bigger hole than we anticipated it being him not being out there, just that experienced player on that, on, on that outside kind of defensive end outside linebacker spot. I also look at the other side, though, and boy, talk about coming back to earth. Zion had a rough one. Yeah, he did not have his best game. That's for sure. <laughs> I don't think he recorded a stat. He didn't record one stat um, and looked – he was a non-factor, just like a complete non-factor in this game. Um, he did have a pressure pretty early. I think that was that – first drive I think that they had it was on that third down play he got a pressure on 
Davis Mills, but Davis Mills got off a good ball to uh, the left left sideline, and it was right over Jackson Sermon's head. It was the, I think it was that play. Had a pretty good pressure yeah. on that. Yep. Um, but especially in the in the run in the run game, lost containment several times. Looked like a young player. Um, what was really odd to me, I don't know if you noticed this, this, Sam. We didn't even talk about this before. I saw him several times, and I don't know if this this was happening in earlier games. You would have a better better recollection of this than I would probably. Several times in passing situations, him dropping back into coverage. And that had me pulling my hair out. I had no idea why they would do that. He was obviously like, that's a mismatch. Like, I mean, they obviously took advantage of that when he was dropping back into coverage. He actually almost had a pick went right over his hands. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't think he's catching that even if he gets his hands on it more. So yeah, maybe not, a that's, tip or something. That's not but... his, that's not his game, but for him, yeah, for him to not be utilized in the way that he's been dominating games in that pass rush role, the pass rush sucked this game. And that's one of the things that I look at just like that. The fact that he wasn't rushing the passer on every passing down that they had. Like, I understand him. I understand you want to give Stanford some different looks maybe, but that's just thinking too hard. Like that's, that's not putting your players in the best position where, where they're going to succeed and show out on the stat sheet and in the game and make game changing plays. Like that had me scratching my head. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, that's something I'm glad you caught that because it was something that stood out to me as well to see him in pass coverage instead of pass rushing is just like an odd, I get that if it's going to be a gadget thing and you try to catch Davis mills off guard, you know, once or twice in the game. But I feel like I saw that similarly to you multiple times. And again, like you said, with the pass rush struggling as much as it did all game, I mean, Davis mills had a really efficient game. I think he was probably right around, yeah, almost exactly 70%, 67-68% passing. We didn't sack him once, so he was able to kind of just sit back there and be comfortable and make his throws, and that puts a lot of stress on the defensive backs. And to not have your elite pass rusher getting after him and pinning his ears back trying to get the quarterback was definitely a head-scratcher on my end as well. So I think all in all – that defensive line played just about as poorly as I've seen mm-hmm. a Husky defensive line play since Jimmy Lake and Kwiatkowski have been here. I don't expect to see that for, I don't, I I'm hopeful that we're not going to see that against Oregon or the remainder of the season. But one of the things that I am kind of thinking in the back of my head a little bit is, you know, I wonder how much of this has, is a result of some of the strength and conditioning restraints we had to deal with in terms of coronavirus parameters, protocols, whatnot. I know that we were trying to get creative in the off season and getting, you know, small groups of five in and out of the gym. And we weren't even, I think we moved a lot of our weightlifting equipment outside so we could do some stuff outdoors and maybe I'm digging a little bit too deep on this one, but I just can't remember the last time I've seen a defensive line at UW feels 
like they just aren't in shape. They're not strong enough and holding that point of attack like we've come to know. And I don't think that that's for a lack of talent. Like we have recruited extremely highly regarded players, especially at that defensive tackle position. And I just can't help but think, you know, not having a standard off season in the weight room has bitten us in the ass a little bit. I know some, um, most teams I would say are dealing with the same thing that we are probably Stanford at least as much, if not more than we did being located where they are, but there are some teams out there. Obviously you go to the sec or other parts of the country where that wasn't an issue that they had to deal with. And again, maybe I'm, I'm digging too deep on this one, but I do think that there's some truth to that. And I'm just surprised that it just seems like, you know, even against going back to our first game against Oregon state, they had some glimpses in there where it felt like we just weren't strong enough and holding the point of attack in that game, Arizona, we handled ourselves well then obviously against Utah and Stanford that kind of showed up again. So I think there's probably something to that and hopefully, you know, we can have a more standard off season at the end of this year. And I fully expect us to, to be right back where we would expect a UW defensive line to be um, come 2021. So I'm hopeful for that, but, I think the defensive line playing the way that they've played is a difficult pill to swallow because it significantly impacts the entire rest of the defense. I mean, in the run game, if they're not holding their own and holding their blocks, it makes it really difficult on the linebackers to kind of scrape through and find their way to the ball carrier in the pass game. If you're not getting a pass rush, that puts a lot of stress on your DBs to hold their coverage and stay close for extended period of time. So you, you couldn't have said it any better off the top, like struggling in the trenches is a recipe for disaster. And boy, did we ever struggle in the trenches Saturday was a rough go for those guys up front. Yeah. And I think, I think the points that you make with a strength and conditioning are, are valid and shouldn't go unheard. Um, yeah. I, th- I think it's definitely a factor. At the, at the same time, though, and, and you mentioned this, most of the Pac-12 teams, at least, are in that same right. boat. And I don't think it can, I don't think it's a legit excuse for the way that they're actually playing out there. But for sure, it's a factor that they didn't have that normal baseline conditioning that they that they typically would have going into training camp. And more than anything, I mean, especially with these college kids and their, their growing bodies, like that 18 to 22 range is a lot of, a lot of growing, a lot of growth during that time in a man's body. So, um, we're not going to talk about puberty right now, folks. That's (laughs) wrong podcast, (laughs) (laughs) but at the same time, obviously that's in college, these guys get a lot bigger over the off season. Um, and that's where you see their most significant body changes is over the off season and their off season workouts. So I think there's, there are a few guys though, that I know, know that Jimmy Lake was impressed with coming back. Kamari Pleasant was one of them that he was impressed with coming back um, mm-hmm. and in good shape. So, but I mean, for him to highlight like those few, those spot few leads me to think that maybe like kind of the, 
the baseline wasn't where it usually is for a lot of these other players. So, um, yeah, I mean, before let's, we'll, we'll move on to the, um, linebackers here in a second, but just from a defensive line standpoint and getting blown off the ball, I mean, this is, this is three or four games now, and we saw it last year too. And a lot of this was because of also the, the linebacking crew that we're about to talk about. So this is yeah. probably a pretty good segue, but we saw, we saw our run defense struggle last, last year as well. And now three of the four games this year, they've also struggled. They've given up well over 150 yards of rushing to each of those three teams, Oregon state, Utah, and Stanford only game that we didn't do that was against Arizona one we got up really early on them so they had to start passing the ball yep and then two they're just not a running oriented offense typically so much as Oregon State Utah and Stanford are and for us to not really put up much resistance I mean are you are you worried at all like long like or from a from a uh more like a satellite view, like on the program, you know, for us to struggle so much on run defense last year, and then for it to be the same thing this year. I mean, we have the same coordinators for the most part, obviously Jimmy Lake was the co-defensive coordinator last year, but Pete Kwiatkowski was obviously very heavily involved in the defensive game plans last year as well. Like, do you think that's a, uh, we've obviously talked very highly of Pete Kukowski and I think he's a very good coordinator, but like, is this what we should come to expect from Husky football for years to come? Like, no, I think if I had to draw a parallel, I would say, I think it was, I can't remember specifically which year it was. It must've been 2014. I think Chris Peterson's first year here, our DBs took their lumps and our past coverage wasn't that great. And if you look at the roster that year, you had a true freshman in Buda Baker starting at safety. You had a true freshman in Sidney Jones starting at corner. You had, I think a red shirt or maybe a sophomore in Kevin King starting at corner and Jojo McIntosh was a redshirt sophomore at the other safety spot. And they took their lumps. They didn't look bad or they did look bad. And everyone was kind of thinking the same things that you're talking about now, but in terms of our D line. And the reason I draw the parallel is we are relying heavily on some young players up front and I think that they're very talented players that will continue to grow. And this has been really good learning experiences for them. And a couple of those players, obviously we've mentioned Savelle Smalls, I think will pick up his game really quickly in the next year or two. He better because he's probably gone Mm -hmm. in two years from now. But I think Jacob Bandez, Fa'atui Tuatele, you know, even Taimani and Tulile Tuli Nasanoa are young players. They really haven't played a ton. Like this is their first year being the guys inside. So I'm not I'm not totally concerned. I think they've definitely taken their lumps this season, but 
I think it's a growing experience for them, a learning experience. And I think they have the physical attributes and the talent. I think it'll take some time for them to kind of gel and really find their roles within this defense, but I'm not hitting the panic button just yet. Would you, would you generally agree with that or? Yeah, I would. Um, It's definitely, you know, I was posing that question just kind of as a talking point for us mostly. Yeah. So I, I generally share the same feelings that you do though. I think this is a young and unexperienced defensive line for the most part, especially with some of the guys that ended up opting out that we might've been counting on. Obviously you have, you know, Josiah Bronson and Ryan Bowman kind of as the experienced lineman per se, but pretty much everyone else is a sophomore eligibility wise or younger. So you're exactly right. As far as just not a lot of game reps for many of those guys, you pair that with an, a weird off season and obviously they didn't get any spring ball and it's it, all of this amounts to young players struggling on in their roles and, and not being able to kind of live up to what we think should be the expectation for UW football. And so it's also one of those things that we got to get quick, like we got to get it fixed quick. And um, yeah, not only for this year, but obviously, I mean, I, I think, I think next year is a completely different story at this point and we'll t- have plenty to talk about next year, but if we're just focusing on this year, I mean, we have, we have a big game obviously coming up next week and we'll get to that way later in the episode. But um, if we, we still have things that we can achieve this year and yep. But if we're going to achieve them, that's where it all starts. Like we have to win the line of scrimmage, especially on that defensive side of the ball. We have to shut out our opponent's running game to make them throw the ball because that's when our defense really shines and starts to cause turnovers and let DBU do its thing. Um, And, you know, let our pass rushers actually be able to pin their ears back and actually rush the passer rather than, them dropping back in coverage because they don't understand what we were doing. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I would just say like, as a closing thought on the defensive line, I know we're all more or less been pulling our hair out over this unit in those three games that we mentioned earlier. I think it's really important to keep in perspective that our three best linemen that we expected to have this year are not playing. Yeah. Obviously Joe Tryon and Levi own was on, I don't know why all of a sudden I'm having such a hard name, hard time with his name. Levi Onwuzurike and uh, Layatu Latu. Mm -hmm. The three of them, if if COVID wasn't a thing and we were rolling into the 2020 season as normal, and you asked anyone that's paid any attention to Husky football, who are your three best players on your defensive line? Those are the three folks that you had mentioned. And so I think – Again, I'm not making excuses for the way that we're playing, but it's important context to keep in mind that we have young players that have been pressed into duty early. One of them is Zion. ZTF has been pressed into duty earlier than he and the fans and the coaches have all anticipated. And for the most part, I mean, he's been magnificent. But I think that's just a common theme on this defensive line that we just need to keep that perspective that this is a learning and growing experience in 2020 for them. And I do expect us to be a lot more 
stout in the run game moving forward into 2021. But going back to your initial question in terms of long-term thoughts on our struggles in the run game, the one area that I am really concerned about is linebacker. Yeah. And let's segue and talk about them. And it really starts with Bob Gregory for me. I know that he's been a bit of a punching bag for some of the diehard Husky fans. He's the linebackers coach for the Huskies. His personnel choices have just been totally unacceptable for two years in a row. Last year, we tried it out, Brandon Wellington and Kyler Manu for the whole season practically, and they were just clearly not getting the job done. And that was even with like all of the guys that we just mentioned on the D line that aren't here this year were there last year and our linebackers had it sometimes pretty easy and still would just tackle air and miss and be running the wrong way. And I think the thing that was frustrating last year was you saw someone like an Eddie Ulofosio start to really break out and make a difference, but it took us until the last three or four games of the season to really actually let him play. And the thing that's frustrating and really concerning to me personally is that we're seeing the same thing play out this season in terms of Jackson Sermon. And again, I don't ever want to come across as someone that's, you know, dragging somebody's name through the mud or this or that, but just watch the game and he struggles out there a lot. He's really stiff. He's not a fluid, fast twitch athlete. And if you're going to be stiff and running around with cinder blocks on your feet, you better be able to diagnose plays quickly and make up for that shortcoming with your football IQ and being able to diagnose plays quickly. And he is even worse at that. And we've seen a couple of the young, talented players behind him in just you know, one, two, three plays here and there, game in, game out. And they bring another element to our linebacking core that, he, that Jackson Sermon doesn't. They play physical. They play aggressive. They're going to obviously shoot the wrong gap every once in a while and big play might break off. But more often than not, bringing that level of physicality, they're going to make something happen. And it's just mind boggling to me that we continue to trot out the same players making the same mistakes with the same shortcomings week in and week out. It just makes me feel like we're not, we're not experimenting enough to see if we truly have the best players out there on Saturdays. And I, that is the one area that I think I'm the most concerned with because I've seen it two years in a row play out the same exact way. I couldn't agree more. And you talked and mentioned briefly there that if you put someone else in there other than Jackson Sermon, for instance, Alfonso Tupatala, who I think we both liked what we've seen from him just in kind of like some spot few plays that he's been out there. And uh, you, you mentioned that they may like he may shoot a wrong gap but at least he's shooting a gap like Jackson Sermon doesn't even shoot gaps, dude. He's so late to the play that he's falling down or tackling air five yards behind the play. He's doing he the tango. Awful, he's takes, doing the tango with an offensive lineman yep. 10 yards down the field. It's like he plays the position like, okay, that's the guy that's supposed to block me. I'm going to go engage with him. Like, dude, your job is to tackle the fucking ball carrier. Yep. Shed the Get goddamn rid of the, 
get rid of that guy mm-hmm. and go tackle the ball. Yep. Yeah. Shed the goddamn block and get to the ball. And um, yeah, we don't, we don't see that from Jackson sermon about 90% of the time, you know, 10% of the time, I think he mentioned it off Mike, Sam, he gets a little bit lucky maybe. Yeah. And he does make a play. And uh, we've seen a few of those this, this year. Yep. Where he kind of, you know, sticks an arm out or makes a decently physical tackle near the line of scrimmage. He's, he's read a couple outside runs that um, I think one of our, I think, I I think it, I, trying to remember i think it was against either arizona or utah there was a run to the right and i think zion last lost containment but jackson sermon was there to clean up the play right behind him and so i mean it's not like he's completely useless out there like he is making spot few plays but the the bad is far outweighing the good when it comes to jackson sermon as far as diagnosing plays like you mentioned seeing where the the ball is and getting off blocks and making a play. Yeah. I just feel like his eyes, I mean, as a linebacker, you're trained to watch the interior offensive lineman first. Like that's your first trigger because in most offensive running plays, you're going to have some sort of pulling action and the inside lineman center or either guard are going to kind of show you the quickest show you in the fastest manner which way the play is more likely than not going. Obviously, you can get caught with some counteraction or some misdirection there. And so I think he's obviously keyed into that. He's watching where the linemen go, but you have to quickly switch like, okay, I know the run is going left and you have to be kind of scraping the line going that way and quickly shift your eyes off of the lineman and to the ball carrier. And I feel like he doesn't do that. He like watches the lineman come and block him and then push him three yards further from where he started. It's like, no, dude, you got to know where the play's going. Get your eyes off of the lineman, be elusive, be physical when you engage the block, get off of it and make a play on the ball. And I've just, I cannot, he's made a couple of plays where he's been on his own open field tackles more than anything. I'm sure he has, but I have not once this season during the game watching it live been like, holy shit, he engaged a block. He, you know, had a cross escape or a side escape, gets off the block and makes a play on the ball. Not one time. Eddie does it all game. Yep. And we need somebody that can do it at least like 50% of the time would be a significant upgrade. And that's where we see someone like an Alfonso Tupatala or an MJ Tafisi with the short, limited amount of snaps that they get. You see them being able to do that and play a physical brand of football. And it's something that's sorely missed. And, you know, I think our listeners at this point probably get the picture (laughs) on where we're at with that. But I think there, we should obviously tip our cap to Eddie Ulafosio. He had 18 tackles, yeah. 13 solo. I mean, some of those obviously were further downfield, but I don't, I see the convenient argument sometimes like, well, you know, a lot of those tackles came down the field. You want your linebackers making tackles closer to the line of scrimmage. Well, when he's overrunning his linebacker next to his side and making the play for his teammate, Right. It's going to happen further down the field. And so I think there's a lot of that going on. 
you know, 18 tackles is a pretty amazing game, but that pretty much tells me that the rest of our team defensively was shit. They were. And Eddie, yeah, was other than Elijah, Eddie was probably the only player that you you could say played a solid game. Uh, it probably, even though he had the 18 tackles, I don't think it even was one of his better games. No, not at and all. And I think I think those 18 tackles are a product of, like you said, other guys not performing and not doing their job and him kind of cleaning up a play. I think we talked about that in the Utah game as well. So yeah. there's another kind of trend, two-week trend that we've seen as far as Eddie kind of putting up some stats, but he's really cleaning up other guys' work for the most part. Yeah, which isn't necessarily a knock on him and more a knock on right. his you know, teammates out there. Yeah, he did have the fumble recovery. He too. did. So, Wish we would have scored a touchdown on that play. Should have. Yeah, I think in my opinion it was, the, we it was did. the quarterback that got him, right? And well, sorry, maybe not. I probably said we should have scored a touchdown on that play. I meant that drive. That drive, yes. Yes. Yeah. I completely agree with that. I was like, I don't he didn't have a great opportunity to too much with that other than what he did, yeah, I don't think. He but did he he got everything he could have out of that. Yeah. He might have been able to, you know, kind of stop and make one guy miss get five or five more yards, but yeah, I don't think he would have Yeah, I don't think he would have gotten in. Um, let's move even further back on the defense though, and talk a little bit about this secondary. And we obviously just got off talking about Jackson sermon. And that's been a name that our listeners are very familiar with at this point, because we've been pretty harsh on him all year. And I need to eat a whole plate full of crow here because my prediction for the defensive standout player of the year guy that I thought was going to lead the team in interceptions guy that I was just like all excited about playmaker rave reviews all off season Asa Turner is shit in the bed so far this year he is not making plays and I don't know I don't know if I need to put that all on him I don't know if it's a a scheme issue as far as him fitting into the defensive game plan Sam and I have both talked about um, in our text exchanges, especially after this last game, that we think he's not being best utilized. We think that he's probably more of a box safety that should be playing a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage and diagnosing plays, especially on run rundowns. Um, and a lot of times you see him 20, 30 yards off the ball playing a deep safety. And I just don't think that's really his game. He's yeah. not a quick tweet, quick twitch athlete, or he doesn't really have elite speed to cover that kind of ground from that position. And um, I want to I want to talk about kind of what we saw from personnel decisions in this nickel formation this this week that I I think both of us like, maybe in a little bit of a different way. We like we the should, idea, not the execution. Right. Um, but we do. We sh- we should continue our our talk on asa turner here real quick i know you had a few thoughts as well yeah i just similarly to you just been a little bit surprised that he hasn't been the impact player that we thought he would or could be this year Mm -hmm. he just seems uncomfortable out there and again maybe that's the position you know 
the two safeties play significantly different roles in this defense. And, you know, he hasn't looked great in coverage situations either. And coming from his deep safety position, he's definitely had his fair share of struggles fitting the run gaps and making those open field plays. And would have liked to have seen more out of him at this point in the season for sure. I think whereas he's got four tackles, they're all solo, but I feel like he had more opportunities to to make some plays. And Yeah, they were all downfield. Like, I mean, yeah, they were just, all past the first down marker, basically. Yeah. All these tackles. So I'm not sure what the deal is with him. I need to probably go back and watch some other yeah, games this season too. and kind of key in on what he's been doing a bit more. But some of that maybe is, again, to what you alluded to earlier, Connor, maybe it's the position he's playing and he could be better suited in a different spot, which I think is a really great segue to talking about everything else that we saw go on in the defensive backfield. So basically what we saw against Stanford was a little bit of a shakeup in our starting lineup where we moved Asa Turner to the deep safety. And so he replaced Alex cook. And then we moved Elijah Molden out of his nickel position to the strong safety spot and brought Kyler Gordon into the nickel, which on the surface, we both love because we both are really high on Kyler Gordon. And I think he played a pretty solid game. He had nine tackles, mm-hmm. he made a couple of plays in coverage. He got beat here and there as well, but that's going to happen. And then obviously you have McDuffie and Taylor are your bookend corners. And that's probably not going to change for the rest of the season, but man, moving Elijah Molden out of that spot that has just been his bread and butter, I think is a bad move. He is such a strong run game tackler and coming up and helping out in the run game and playing aggressive and fitting the gaps and fitting those run lanes is something that he does better than arguably anybody in the country out of the nickel. And I, I really am high on Kyler Gordon, but I think Kyler would be, the team would be better served using Kyler Gordon at the safety spot and keeping Elijah Molden in the nickel spot next to the line of scrimmage. I know you probably feel even strong, even more strongly about this than I do. Yeah. And I think what you were alluding to Sam, that we like, we like the personnel decision on a surface level, just because we're trying to get our best players on the field. And that hasn't always been the case. I feel like with a lot of this defense. So for them to make that decision is at least encouraging on a surface level. Uh, Bob Gregory, are you taking notes here? I'm sure he's listening. So definitely taking notes. It seems so obvious, but anyway, as you also mentioned, Elijah Molden is so good during near the line of scrimmage and so good in that nickel roll because he's, he has the, not only is he a great tackler, obviously in, in rundowns, but he has that elite quickness and cover skills to cover that slot receiver. And Kyler definitely has the athleticism, but he doesn't quite have the moxie. I don't think yet 
for that kind of position. And he's not nearly as sure of a tackler near the line of scrimmage, kind of one-on-one situations as Elijah is. So first off, Elijah needs to play nickel corner. Like that's, that's where he needs to be. I'm sorry. You can't move him around. I know they're trying to basically, I think, try to do what they did with Miles Bryant last year. Yeah. And they moved him kind of from a nickel position back to a safety position in some role or capacity. But Elijah is a different player than Miles Bryant. Like, Well, and I think the difference there is the reason they moved Miles Bryant out of nickel and back to safety was because Elijah Molden was so fucking good at playing nickel. There you go. That it's like, just leave him there. And I yep. do think Kyler Gordon is definitely one of our best five DBs. So again, like love the idea and the attempt here on getting your best five on the field. Mm-hmm. And I would be surprised if we don't see that potentially get tweaked in this week. I would love to see that. And I mean, the play that comes to mind, I don't have the exact play off the top of my head, but it was Stanford's final drive. They were still on their half of the field. It was like a third and six ish third and medium yards to gain. And Tyler Gordon was playing in the nickel and they ran an, uh, an outside zone or an off tackle run to Kyler's on side six. on third and six. And again, credit. I love the aggressive nature that Kyler plays with. You kind of have to live and die by it at times out there right now. He jumped inside and tried to, shoot the gap and make a tackle for loss when if he had just stayed home, he was going to be unblocked one-on-one with the running back. And maybe Kyler's not as proficient as a tackler as Elijah Molden is, but he's pretty damn close. He's a sound Mm -hmm. tackler. Mm -hmm. Nine out of 10 times, Kyler's going to make that tackle mano y mano, but he got himself out of position. And I think, to your point, that is the biggest difference between having Elijah Molden at that position versus Kyler Gordon right now is the pre-snap mental aspect of the game, being where you're supposed to be, believing in the call, believing in the defensive scheme, doing your role, not trying to play hero. If Molden is there, that's the third down stop, and we have the ball back down by what? five yep i like that situation so again hindsight's 2020 but that was the play that really you know when i watched that play i was more like ah damn like kyler missed the opportunity and it wasn't until we talked about it later where you're like elijah's there we maybe win the game yeah (laughs) and i was like damn he's totally right so i would be interested do you think that they'll make a potential switch there i I fucking hope so, dude. I don't know what else to say, but um, I think I was very vocal about it going into this year that if you're going to try to get your five best defenders on the field, and that was back when we thought that Cam Williams was possibly going to be starting opposite of Asa Turner. I was like, Kyler Gordon could take that position. Like he's obviously, like you said, one of the top, defensive top five defensive backs and with our nickel base needs to be on the field 80 percent of the time probably you know yep and i just think that you are so solid at basically every other position he could take aces position too i do think asa is better than alex cook though um 
haven't seen enough of Cam Williams this year to really judge that accurately, I feel like, between Asa and Cam Williams. But I think either of those safety positions is up for grabs right now. And I also think that Kyler could play that deep safety position and matches up athletically a lot better and fits that mold a lot better than Asa Turner does, that you could do that and then move Asa Turner up kind of into the box and rundown situations and then have him maybe covering like a tight end or something like that in passing downs. And I think, I think that it, it seems so obvious to me, I guess that I just, that's why it's so mind boggling to me. Um, but How you know, I mean, it... I, go ahead. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but no, you're fine. I've been thinking this, obviously we've both been thinking about this and talking back and forth about it, but, something you just said just sparked a thought in my mind. And I want to pose the question to you is how much of them being stubborn about playing Kyler at the nickel spot is in preparation for next year, knowing that Elijah Molden won't be here. Sure. And I think that's, that's a fair argument. At the same time, play to win the damn game. That yes. Yes. I completely agree, Sam even if you're looking forward to next year and that's your argument, Kyler is going to shine no matter where you put him. And he's going to learn quickly because that's how he does things. And he's athletic, athletic enough that he can play any of those positions and do an admirable job. Like as far as elite level, we don't know where he probably fits into the mold yet, but I think Mm -hmm. obviously the, the, Coaches see him as the future nickel pro- corner of the program, which has been such an integral part of the defense right. in the Pete, Chris Peterson era. And then obviously into the Jimmy Lake era, era. That's just kind of one of the, one of the positions that um, is unique about the U- UW defense, as far as having an elite pos- player at that position and kind of the leader of, of your defense at that position. So for them to think that highly of Kyler, um, obviously they they love they love him as a player right. and love his potential. But right now you have such a fucking stud there with Elijah Molden. Why would you not play him there? Like why why change things up? Why fix something that's not broken there and address a different issue that actually is an issue, which is your back end safety help. Right. And not necessarily from a coverage standpoint. They haven't really, I, I don't really recall many. We've, uh, we've gotten beat over the top a couple times, but it's not really because of safety help, I feel like. Yeah. It's mostly been in man coverage. And yeah, honestly, we haven't really seen any blown coverages per se. I think sure. we've seen a couple times. I know Utah had a big play to Brian Thompson down the sideline. Keith Taylor had pretty damn good defense. I think it was a one handed catch. And Great then play. Thompson ended up beating Alex Cook one on one out of the slot. Mm-hmm. So, to your point, like our safeties have done their job in terms of keeping the play in front of them. We haven't seen any like 70 yard bombs over the top yeah. yet. So, but yeah, um, I just, I, I think it's so obvious. And I really hope that they make that change. I think this is a great week to do it against Oregon. So, definitely something to watch for um it was pretty obvious that kyler was playing 
a lot more on defense in this last game against Stanford. And it's really too bad that he plays in a game and gets in there and the defense really struggles, but I don't put a lot of that on him. I I thought he played relatively well. Yeah. I think he played well and he definitely has a big future in this defense. So we've been talking him up all season long. Kyler's a stud. He, he, (laughs) he did, (laughs) kind of f up on that punt by race porter standing in the end zone thinking that he was on the one yard line yep and downing that like i thought it was again like gonna be you know the third time that they had done that in four games and he just didn't really know where he was on the field which i i don't know what i amount to that i think it's just kind of a lapse in concentration for one player lapse in focus for one play but a little disappointed in in that one Special teams from a like let's let's talk special teams real quick before we transition to offense. Yeah, I thought Tim Horn had a fucking rough game as well. Um, Jimmy Lake didn't call him out by name, but essentially was like, Yeah, we should be kicking the ball out of the end zone. Kickoff coverage was bad again this week, and I think a lot of that had to do with where those kicks were kicks were placed. Like, he just right off the bat, the first kick of the game, he kicks out of bounds. So, and it didn't get much better throughout the game. Um, I don't know if you saw anything else on that as far as just like coverage itself, but I noticed that Tim Horn was not kicking the ball cleanly most of the game on kickoffs. Yeah, it's kind of been that way the whole season for him. And so it's one of the things that I've been thinking a, a decent amount about actually. And I've wondered at times, maybe he's not fully healthy or he had, you know, isn't totally there because last year he was booting him out of the back of the end zone. Yeah. And he's known to have like, even within the PAC 12 conference last year was his first year as a kickoff starter. And he's already mm-hmm. developed a reputation for being an extremely strong legged kicker. So I think maybe there's something going on there in terms of health wise. But might, I think, yeah, I think you might be right not to cut you off, Sam, but like, I don't know if you've noticed, but every time that he's kicking the ball off, he seems to kind of like lean into it kind of yeah. weird and stagger off. Like, he, and I don't, he's made a couple tackles though, too, at the same time. So he's obviously like running well enough to get to the ball. So I don't know if it's like his kicking motion. There's something t- like, yeah, I've tugging, picked up, but I picked up on the same thing weird. because I've seen him you know, the split second on the camera that you get right after he boots right. the ball and takes his first one or two steps of follow through. Yeah. I, I have a hard time deciphering if he's like hanging his head because he kicked a shitty ball or if he's like <laughs> writhing in a little bit of pain and trying right. to get through it. I'm not sure. The other thing that I do want to call out that is for sure impacting this is with the delayed season, we're we're later on in the season it's colder the weather is more you know more of an impact on the kicking game than ever and so i think you know we're used to seeing him booting it out of the end of the out of the end zone in september and early october and so i think that there's definitely a factor of that with some of the dense air that we have the ball is just not going to fly as far and one of the things that I've tried to key on key in on is even opposing teams in the Husky stadium aren't really, I haven't seen anybody kick it 
out of the end zone. I've definitely True. seen the ball land in the end zone a couple of times, but I do think that, that he's in a layer. It, it's a real thing coming off of Lake Washington for sure. <laughs> and so I think there's definitely an aspect of that, but something's not right. And then obviously being the football nerd that I am going into special teams, kick coverages again, coach Bob Gregory's name is going to come up again. <laughs> and I'm not going to call, for his, Sam. Come on. call for his job or anything, but if there is going to be any off season changes, it's going to be him. Our is part of looking coverage, for a job. I mean, I, we should hire him. Yeah. Full stop. We should definitely do that. We're going to ask him uh, that question after the season. Our kickoff coverage philosophy is so simple and predictable, and we do the same thing on every kick. It's really easy to figure out what we do. I'm not going to air our special teams tactics, but if you diagnose it and break it down and watch it over play or after play, it's the same thing. We have certain rules and keys for specific players. It's the same keys and rules for the same players Every single kick, if you're an opposing special teams coach, it's not that hard to figure out. And I think we've struggled because of that. And I would just like to see our special teams coverage units have a little bit more complexity to the scheme and the rules that we play with. So there's a lot to be desired in that kickoff coverage unit for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And it's, it's really too bad because we obviously saw um, we we felt like we were turning the corner there because they I feel like they played pretty well the past two games before that we obviously saw them struggle in that Oregon State game mm-hmm. Ch- Champ Fleming's the little dude running all over us in that in that kickoff coverage yeah um, or in his on his kick returns but um. Yeah, man. It. I don't know. I. I don't know what it is. There's definitely just something not there, and it obviously the easiest place to point is, well, who's the coordinator for special teams, and a little bit of a. You know. Bob Gregory again, kind of thing. You know, like it's might be time it, for a change. It's 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 a real thing. So I. I do think that there is something there. I don't think you're out of line by saying saying that or calling his name out. Let's switch over to the offensive side of the ball, though, Sam. Um, I had I thought they had a sneakily good game. I, I mean, thought they played at, solid. You look at the we only had seven possessions and we scored on five of them. Right. Like, I don't not, think they played nearly as bad as it looked in that first half. Right. Um, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think we had. Three possessions in the first half. Uh, one, two, three. Yep. And we, then, yeah, just had a field goal off of that. But yeah, I mean, to your point, our our first drive of the game, we're you know moving the ball into Stanford territory, and then it's we have a third and five, which I feel pretty good about us converting, especially like on. The Stanford 47 is when that occurred. So even if we pick up three yards, we're probably going for it. Like, yeah. we, like pretty reasonably going for it in that, that yep. part of the field. So we probably really have two downs to get five yards. And 
again, I think, I think this is, I, we talked about this before, Sam, I think it's, it's definitely a combination of coaching and obviously having a first year starter at quarterback, but you have a 12 men on the huddle penalty on third and five, knocks rookie, you back five yards. Rookie move. Yep. And I think that's, that's rookie move all around, right? That's, that's a rookie head coach. That's an offensive coordinator that hasn't been an offensive coordinator in what, six, seven years or something like that in college football. And yeah. then you, you obviously have a, a rookie starting quarterback as well. And that's just kind of a failure all around from a communication standpoint. Obviously that mostly falls on Dylan Morris because he's ultimately responsible for counting those players in the huddle and making sure that that's all good, but it's also a personnel issue and the coaches need to be aware of that as well. Um, obviously some kind of miscommunication between players out there on who was supposed to be on the field and who wasn't. Not only do they have that penalty though, but they follow that up with the delay of game penalty, which is just oh. fucking unacceptable. Like I'm that's so inexplicable back-to-back penalties that are pre-snap penalties that have nothing to do with like getting the playoff. It's ridiculous. Like that speechless, honestly. It's it is the epitome of just having like first year players at all those or first year uh people in all of those positions, I guess. As far as quarterback, offensive coordinator, head coach, just a failure in communication all around on both of those plays. And suddenly you're at you're at third and fifteen and we pick up eleven yards on a Dylan Morris run that he almost gets killed on. Got whacked. Yeah. Please don't take that hit, Dylan. Learn how to goddamn slide, please. Like I appreciate the Jake Locker mentality, but not when not. you don't have a Jake no. Locker body. He's six foot, <laughs> six foot one eighty or some shit, probably. I don't know. Like they have him listed at two hundred, but two hundred. Probably... I I believe that. He's not he's not super tiny, but um definitely not definitely not, not built like Jake Locker. So obviously that I mean, that brings up a fourth and four, and you're at the stand for 46. I, I did think that we might go for it there, and we end up I thought the ball about away. It. I thought um, about it, too. Obviously, early in the game, and we're down seven to zero, but I don't think Jimmy Lake probably foresaw us struggling as much as we did on, on defense throughout the game. Right. Um, and then the drive after that's the field goal drive, 13 plays, 71 yards, just kind of stalls inside of, inside of the 10-yard line would have obviously liked us to punch that in, but um, we get down to the four, four yard line of Stanford and Peyton Henry boots it through. And then that third drive of the first half, just looking through here real quick. I don't remember it that well. I think that was another, Oh shit. That was the, that was the drive that we were, we were moving the ball again and we get right near midfield and then they run that stupid fucking reverse end around with Roman Dunze that, I mean, not his fault at all. Like, I don't, I, both of the play, both the times that he's run that play, I think has been a complete breakdown up front from a blocking standpoint. But I don't really like that play with Roman Dunze either, though. Like, that, that play is made for Terrell Bynum. Obviously, he didn't play in this game. So, if they were going to run that play, someone had to run it, and maybe that's your best option. 
but also, I mean, on a second and 10 from midfield, is that really the time for that kind of play? Like when I feel like you've had success moving the ball, you don't need a gadget type play like that, which maybe they don't, I'm probably eating my words here, but maybe they don't consider that a, a gadget play because it is a play that they run two or three times every game to Terrell Bynum. But if you don't have that player on the field and it's pretty much worked every time when Terrell Bynum's there, like they, he seems to just really excel at that play as far as setting up his blocks and getting outside with his speed. True freshman Roman Dunes. I, I don't know if it's, it, it's probably partially on him, but I think the, you've just seen massive breakdowns up front every time that he's run that play. Yeah. I'll stop going off about that play, but I, no, I don't know I what think, your thoughts were yeah. kind of on that drive. I mean, that obviously that put us in a third and 20. And again, we kind of have a short pass to Kamari Pleasant for 14 yards to sh- set up a fourth and six right near midfield. Again, possibly a chance to go for it there. And we punt the ball away. Um, but um, going, yeah. back to, going back to the Roman Dunes, I play though. Yeah. I think one of the things that, was interesting to me and again i haven't had the chance to watch the game a second time but that's one of the plays i wrote down in my notes to go back and really diagnose and and analyze because on a lot of the jet sweep and around type plays that we've seen terrell bynum have success Jalen mcmillan have success on have been true bread and butter clear-cut jet sweep plays yeah this one and again i'm really curious to go watch it again but when i watched it live it looked like we added a wrinkle to it where there was a fake there was a fake it was a reverse i think it wasn't a reverse are you sure yeah it was a fake handoff to oh you're right kate otten or something coming across the coming Mm -hmm. across the line of scrimmage as like a fake tight end sweep and then Romo Dunze was trailing Kate Otten and we handed it off to the second person coming across. And again, I need to look at it a second time, but from first look, it just didn't, the play doesn't make sense to me. The whole idea of a jet sweep is to kind of get misdirection, get the defense flowing one way and have the ball go the other way. And to fake a handoff going the same direction that you're going to ultimately run an end around or jet sweep is kind of like a dead giveaway to the defense. And so I think there's an element of that that just didn't, again, on first glance, didn't sit well with me. The play design didn't make sense. So I'll be interested to take a look at that one and I'll make sure when we come on for, you know, wrapping up our final thoughts later this week and previewing our rivalry game against Oregon, I'll study that play and have a bit better analysis on it. But I thought that there was a wrinkle in there that just didn't look quite right to me on that play. So again, to your general sentiment, I don't think we can chalk that up to obviously anything wrong in terms of what Rome did on the play, but Mm -hmm. just looked weird. It didn't, wasn't a standard jet sweep that you would typically see for sure. Yeah. And loss of 10 is obviously with a loss of down because it's the play counts. It's not just a penalty or anything like that is obviously going to completely kill a drive. Yeah. And I think there were just too many interruptions in that first drive. It just wasn't quite as clean of, of a game 
clean from a penalty perspective for the most part, besides that first drive, I felt like, and throughout the game too, but just staying on schedule, I felt like they, they struggled with that just a little bit in the first half, but I think overall they were able, they were able to move the ball. It wasn't really a matter of that. It was just coming up with timely plays and keeping on schedule. And then that's that second half, they just made small adjustments and result is touchdown, touchdown, touchdown field goal in the four second half drives. So it should have been a final touchdown too. damn refs should have, should have. Yeah. I, I didn't like that. Penalty. I did not like that holding penalty. I, I mean, I, you can never leave it in the ref's hands and um, especially when it comes to pack 12 refs, but there were definitely some questionable calls throughout this game really on both sides, but I think definitely, I think, I think they definitely favored Stanford for the most part, some of those ticky tacks, um, and, and, uh, questionable calls on the field when it comes to catches and stuff too. We can get to that in a second, but how do you think Dylan Morris played overall? I thought he played solid, but yeah, I think he played solid as well. 15 for 23, 254 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. I think he, played well enough to win the game and I generally carry that sentiment across the offense but I thought for him in particular outside of again the first drive blunders with those two pre-snap penalties were obviously killers but I thought for the most part Dylan Morris played pretty well what about you same yeah I yeah I don't think I don't think we have to talk long and hard about Dylan Morris I think he played solid like you said well enough to win I don't think he's stood out as much maybe as in previous games as far as like game changing plays and kind of like clutching up and stuff i thought he could have had that if he got the ball again one more time at the end of the game if the defense could have gotten off the goddamn field by the way we didn't mention this but i think i I was hearing in the broadcast i i need to go back and actually look to see if this is the case but we were the top i think third down defense in the conference going into this game we aren't anymore (laughs) we gave up 10 of 13 on third down and two of two on fourth down yeah so think about that 10 of 13 on third down some of those were the three some of those were third and tens third and twelves yeah and two of the three that they did not convert on third down they later converted on fourth down right which is Bat shit crazy and never a recipe for success. And so, and if you go back and look, folks, this is not a this is not a lie. Stanford scored on every possession until the end of the third quarter. Every possession that they had until the end of the third quarter. The defense did not get off the field on a possession and force Stanford into a punting situation until the end of the third quarter. That's how that's how bad we, they played on Saturday. That's like, and that's how you lose the game. That obviously, I mean, this is, we're talking about a five point game here, thirty one to twenty six. Like this isn't like we we got our asses kicked in the first half, but it's not like like we got completely blown out in this game. Like it looked our like offense, it could have be could have been heading that direction. Right. But our offense did everything. Yep, they kept us in the game that they needed to do to win the game, especially in that second is, half. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think one last thing before we move off of Dylan Morris to the yeah. running backs, mm-hmm. one of the things that I know the, the broadcasters were commenting were, you know, at least once or twice, maybe three times 
Kate Otten was pretty wide open and Dylan Morris quote unquote missed Kate Otten or sorry, did I say that right? Dylan Morris missed Kate. Yep. 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 And I don't think that that's so much on Dylan Morris. I think for those specific plays that I'm remembering, and again, I'll, I'll watch it back and solidify my opinion on this. Dylan Morris is trained to check your first read, go through your progressions, but if your first read is there, hit it. And so I think in at least one, and I think the second one as well, where Kate Otten was wide open, he wasn't the first option. He wasn't the first receiver Dylan Morris was looking at. And his first look was open and he hit it. And yeah, it could have been a touchdown play if he had seen Kate Otten running free, but I don't put that so much on Dylan Morris. He's, he's running the play as it's designed. And the first look is there, you take it. Fair point. And I'll even add to a little bit more with Dylan Morris here. He actually hit a couple deep balls in this game. So you got to credit him that like, we've obviously been talking about that. That's been one of the things in his game that hasn't quite been there. And he hit Ty Jones a couple times down the sideline in this game for 30 or 40 yard plays. So he's, showing some growth in that area, which is obviously promising and showing improvement in those areas as a young quarterback is kind of a lot of the, that's what I look for in a young quarterback is them kind of like improving on certain areas of their, in, in their games, like week to week. And I think we're seeing that from Dylan for the most part. I think the one thing that I could knock on, on him right now, and we've talked about this too before Sam is he's got to, he's got to take a few RPMs off the ball whenever he's, especially yeah. on those kind of, you know, screen plays, passes to running backs, short slant routes. Like he's, I mean, he's fucking hucking that ball in there. You got to know who you're throwing it to. Yeah. So I, the, the one play that comes to mind is him throwing a 70 mile an hour ball at Kamari Pleasant on a screen pass when he's, you know, three yards away from him. So just things like that. I, th- I think he'll improve on that. I think some of it's adrenaline that, I think you had that point earlier, um, Sam, when we were talking off mic. Um, I also think some of it's just, you know, kind of touch and getting a feeling for the speed of the game in college. So I fully expect that he'll improve upon that. But I think those are just kind of two two quick shout outs that I wanted to give Dylan one positive, one negative. But he's he is improving and it may not show up in the stat sheet, but like there, there are areas of his game that you can see growth week to week to week. Um, and it's not always going to be like a flat trajectory line or straight trajectory line up. Like there's going to mm-hmm. be dips and stuff here and there in games. Like it's not going to be perfect, obviously, but you want to see that overall trajectory and growth kind of go up if you're looking at it on a, on a graph. So I think we're seeing that from Dylan Morris though. Yeah, for sure. And again, I think we both feel like he played well enough to win the game. I think offensively in general, we did. If there was one area that left some meat on the bone, it was our running game. Yeah. We saw a lot of Sean McGrew, and for the second week in a row, we didn't see any of Big Dick Newton out there. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I would have loved to have seen 
Richard Newton in there again, you know, you're playing a physical Utah defense last week, a physical Stanford defense this week, and he is for sure our most physical runner. And I think he could have done some really good things for us in both games. I think similarly to us harping on missing Ryan Bowman on the defensive side of the ball, I think we miss Richard Newton a lot on the offensive side of the ball. I also would have liked to see Cam Davis get more than three carries. But in general, good on just, all of them. Just in general, it's uh, there's a lot left to be desired in that running game two weeks in a row. Yeah. I mean, Sam, we, we talked about this. It's pretty obvious. What What is this team trying to do on offense? Run the ball, win time of possession, give our defense a rest. Stanford did it really well, and we did a shitty job of it. Yep. So, and I think Sean McGrew has played really well this year. And I think he, he fits his role. And I think they're overcompensating a little bit though, from his, his performance against Oregon state and giving him kind of the first and most of the touches throughout the games. Yeah. Um, in, in, in the three games since Oregon state. And you see it here again, he's leading the team in carries by 10 carries and really by 13 carries because the seven carries are Dylan Morris there if you're looking at the rushing stats. So um, he's definitely getting a huge portion of of those carries. And with the stable of running backs that you have and the fact that you kind of advertised it as that, and keeping guys fresh and using guys in different situations that kind of fit their role or their strengths. I I'm a little weirded out and unsure of kind of their decision-making behind the personnel and the running back group. And I think it really goes back to, you know, I mean, I think, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with Richard Newton. Like I, I don't know if it's, the way that Jimmy put it, he was asked about Richard Newton and he completely evaded the question, but basically just said that the running backs that are ready to play out there are going to play. Take that what you will. I mean, like I yeah, read into that how you want to read into that. I don't know if that's a, an internal discipline issue that we kind of thought it might be going into last week with the whole BYU calling right. them out on Twitter and stuff. Maybe that's it. Um, could be injury related. Obviously it could also be COVID related. Could be a variety of things. And obviously with COVID there's more factors involved in this process than there are in normal seasons. I don't think it's COVID because he's suited up and on the sidelines. So it's not COVID. Obviously. I think it's so either. It's that. I think it's disciplinary. I think he's in the doghouse because from what I can tell, he's on the sideline, he's suited up, ready to play, which means he doesn't have COVID and he's not injured. Because if he was injured, he'd be in street clothes. Yeah. Well, Richard Newton, make some apologies or something, bud, because we want to see you out there on game day. Your presence matters in that running back core. He is by far the most physical runner that we have and really – If, if if we needed him in any kind of game, remember last year, we wa- we watched that Stanford game last year. 
Yeah. And that's the game that he got injured, right? Yes. In that in that 2019 game against Stanford. And when he got injured, that entire game just changed. Yep. Same exact fucking thing this year. Like as far as just like we were missing that physic physical back in this game. And miss that physicality and that guy that's going to just hit you in the mouth like I don't necessarily think the offensive line played amazing. I think I thought that they played okay again, kind of in that run game. I think they set up enough holes that our running backs probably should have done better than they did kind of like in the Utah game again. Um, But obviously Richard Newton is very missed in this backfield right now, as far as that physical presence, because Kamari pleasant, even though he's bigger, he's not that type of back. Right. And, Richard Newton brings a level of attitude and yep. swag to yep. the offense that I think a lot of the players feed off of, and it's sorely missed for sure. So I think in general, like our running game was okay. It wasn't totally. It was still subpar, I would say. Bad, I mean, for, but. For, from our perspective, like, I mean. you It needs you to be better. You have 117 yards of like rushing, but 36 of those from Dylan Morris and really seven or eight of Dylan Morris's yards are probably designed because he had that one quarterback keeper, I think on a third down at yeah. some point. And then he had another one that got called back. So that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be uh, totaled in this, in, in these stats. Um, I, I think we need to see more Cam Davis, dude. Like, especially if they're not yeah. going to play Richard Newton. We play the kid. do. Play we the kid. To. Like he like he looks good every time he fucking touches the ball. And he has this innate ability to find I'm swearing a the... lot. I'm sorry. I'm pissed off. Well, I mean, we should be. We freaking lost in a game that we really should have won, in my opinion. No, Sam, we fucking lost. I know we did. I heard it the first time. <laughs> but yeah, I think we need more Cam Davis. We need more Richard Newton. I mean, we talked about it before the season even started. Those are our two best running backs. Anybody can tell you that. Mm-hmm. And that's no knock on Sean McGrew. I think he's got, you know, he's carrying a big burden, especially in the Stanford game. And he's not really designed to be the bell cow running back. But Cam Davis has this innate ability to find just a sliver of a crack of a hole and pick up four yards five yards at a time. And there was one play down near the goal line. I don't, I must've been on one of our scoring drives where it was an inside run, just like we had seen for most of the game that just gets stymied for one, two yards, maybe. And he just finds a way to kind of turn his pads, get skinny and pick up, you know, an additional two, three, four yards there. And with the way that our offensive line is run blocking, we need somebody that, has confidence in the play design, whether it's like you could drive a Mack truck through the hole or not, he's going there and he just needs more touches. Three carries is not enough. And that's consistently what he's been getting. Yeah. It's like two or three carries, like basically every game he's getting more plays than that. Like he's getting, you know, probably 10 snaps a game, but he's only getting a handful of touches. Yeah. It's just not enough. I think similarly to some of the, you know, head scratching personnel decisions we've seen on the defensive side of the ball, this is the one on the offensive side of the ball that I just don't understand. Our best two running backs have been MIA. Yeah. 
the last two weeks in the weeks that we needed them the most. Yeah, it's frustrating. Hopefully things change against Oregon next week, but let's turn to a position group that I think probably was the best out of all the position groups that we're going to be mentioning tonight, and that's the wide receivers yep. um, slash tight ends, just receiving core in general. But um, obviously kind of the the biggest elephant in the room would be that Puka didn't play this game. And obviously Puka is kind of the leader in the wide receiver locker room, um, not only from a – a presence standpoint, but also just a, a statistical standpoint. He's, he's the most talented in that, in that group. So we saw a true freshman, Roman Dunze fill in for Puka and he played really well. I thought he played really, really well. Yeah. He was a stud. He had that one memorable catch. I can't remember if it was third down or not, but across the I middle think it was a third down. I seem to remember it that way. I'm not positive, but Maybe it was, it was down, but... not the best thrown ball. It was no. a little bit wobbly way out in front of him. He reached out with one hand and just snatched it in, in traffic. I mean, you have to be thinking you're going to take a big hit in that situation as well. He showed no fear, made a really nice catch and, you know, five receptions, 69 yards. I really liked what I saw from him. And honestly, I'm, I'm a little bit bummed when the starting lineup came out and we saw that both Romo Dunze and the other true freshman, Jalen McMillan, were starting. I was a little bit giddy because I think they both are a different breed of horse in that stable that we haven't really seen outside of someone like a Puka Nakua in the past. And so I was excited to see them both play. Romo Dunze really lived up to the hype. He played really well. Hopefully he can build on that momentum for the rest of the season. And I thought Jalen McMillan looked really solid as well. Honestly, I thought he caught the ball that the refs called yeah. incomplete. I thought that was maybe a little bit of a BS call. I would have liked them to call that a complete pass and then, you know, go to replay to review it and overturn it as incomplete. Obviously it went vice versa. And then Jalen ended up getting his ankle rolled up on and we didn't see him for the rest of the game. So I was a little bit bummed out about that, but the bright spot definitely was true freshman Romo Dunze filled in admirably. And then, you know, the other guy that's been around the program for a while that really had a great game was Ty Jones. What did you think of his performance, Connor? Yeah. And I mentioned him earlier that he was kind of that primary deep threat down the sideline for Dylan Morris and, if we're talking about a win for sure had the play of the game, I'd say. And even Hell though the yeah. loss had the play of the game, I'm sure he was on sports center that night. I didn't stay up to watch sports center. Cause I was very um, incapacitated, I guess that's an easy way to say that, but by anger uh, or by alcohol or both, both. both. <laughs> for sure. Both. Um, but I mean, yeah, you got two, two receptions for 79 yards. One of those is 42 yards. So you guys do the math. It's a 37 yards was the other one. Um, but yeah, two, two long completions down the left, left sideline. And the, I, was it the 42 yarder or the 37 yarder? I can't remember which one it was. I think it was the 42 yarder probably was a one handed catch that was just outstanding and got us into a, I think it was a first and goal situation or like right outside of 
the 10 yard line probably went where he caught that. Um, but yeah, one handed catch down the sideline that you'll see replayed for years. I'm sure it was extremely impressive. So if you haven't seen that highlight, please go back and watch it. But um, suffice to say, Ty Jones had a, had a solid game again, another good, good game blocking as well too. He's just so good. Like he does kind of the dirty work that we've talked about from that wide receiver position and um, really sets up any of those block, any of those runs that you see kind of bounce outside. A lot of times you'll see Ty Jones. It'll a lot of times be to Ty Jones aside, and then you'll see Ty Jones, you know, 10 yards downfield mauling a, a cornerback. So um, obviously he's a receiver, but he's also a really, really good blocker downfield in the run game. So can't say enough good things about Ty Jones. I think with on offense, you probably point to three guys, point to Ty Jones, Romo Dunze, and then you point to Dylan Morris as far as like playing solid. Yeah. At least like uh, kind of where we expect them to play and then yep. above that. So um, I think for the most part, pretty much everyone else was a little bit disappointing. Dylan, Devin Culp got his first reception. He, he actually did. caught the ball and then he dropped it, you know, th- two or three plays later, but it was also a pretty bad, pretty bad throw by yeah it was that, that was play. another heater yeah. he was like five yards away and threw yeah. him a heater a little bit behind so i yeah. don't totally blame devin culp on that one but it was great to see him kind of get that monkey off his back and sure. make a catch and a nice run after the catch too and i think that's yeah. part of his game that Athleticism. we, we want to see he's an athletic big guy and speaking of athletic big guys none better in the country maybe than kate otten and we didn't see enough of him in this game we didn't give him enough targets. He ended up yeah. with two receptions for 46 yards. Really That's... the one reception for 42, though. Like, I mean, he had that one long right. reception, basically, and then was a zero factor. And I don't know if that's – I don't know if we should be crediting David Shaw for that. Like, maybe they just completely took him out of the game from a scheming perspective. But I also think you have to counter that. Like, Kate Otten's too good of a player for him to be a complete zero, basically, yeah. in this game. Yeah, I would have definitely liked to see us. I mean, the guys coming off of a seven reception, 100 yard game against Utah, or sorry, Arizona, Arizona. eight receptions over 100 yards against mm-hmm. Utah. You got to make designed plays where he's the first read and get him the ball. And again, like I'll be interested to watch it back, but it sounded like there were multiple times where he was open. He's even if the team is, you know, bracketing him with double coverage, he gets open. He's a big bodied guy. You got to, especially on some of those third down plays that we struggled with, got to get him the ball more than twice a game. There's no excuse for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're both in strong agreement there. Let's, uh, Let's transition and unpack our three three keys to the game, or I let's, guess let's keys just to the game. Chat in really quick. We gotta don't don't forget the big nasties up front. We gotta oh, talk about the, the offensive, offensive line. line. Real I quick. mentioned them very very briefly, but yes, I'm sure you have more to say about them. So go ahead, Sam. Yeah, I, I we don't have to spend too much time here. I think they played well enough to win the game. Yep. I would have liked to have seen them create more obvious, easier running lanes for the running backs. It seemed like. 
they definitely had their hands full up front in terms of the running game. So definitely some improvement there will be needed for Oregon in the remainder of the season. But again, in pass protection, they're, they're damn good. I don't think Dylan Morris has been sacked once. I think maybe there was a sack that was chalked up on the stat sheet, but it was really Dylan Morris scrambling and ran out of bounds behind the line of scrimmage. I don't think he's been tackled by a defensive lineman or a blitzing defensive player for a legitimate sack all year. So tip our caps to the offensive line and pass pro. They've been really good. I think our running backs have been solid in pass protection, pass protection as well. So in general, I, I felt like the offensive line played relatively well. We're always going to struggle, you know, in that power running game against a team like Stanford and Utah. I expect us to have some more success next week against Oregon, but I overall, I felt like the offensive line played played admirably and played well enough for us to get the dub, but obviously shortcomings on the defensive side of the ball kind of kept that from being the case. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty dis- disappointing day on defense for sure. And that far outweighed anything that we did on the offensive side of the ball. But for a transition here, obviously we just kind of finished a couple minutes ago about our, our lack of success or lack of, I guess, achieving what we expect from our running game. And if we're unpacking our keys to the game, Sam, I know your key to the game was run, run the ball time of possession. And specifically, I know that you talked about running backs hitting the design holes, which you just kind of talked about in, in the offensive line um, breakdown there for just a second. So I imagine you probably want to maybe talk a little bit more about that as far as our failure to do that in this game against Stanford. Yeah, for sure. And I think obviously we lost time of possession. Like we said earlier, it ended up coming out closer to even than it felt. It felt like Stanford really dominated time of possession and, you know, the way to win time of possession is running the ball successfully and 3.5 yards per carry on average is not going to do that for you. So something needs to change there. And one of the things that I picked up in the Utah game, and that's why it was my key to the game against Stanford was holes were there. They weren't gaping obvious holes for the running backs to hit, but I felt like in that Utah game, our running backs didn't trust the play design and follow their lead blockers and try to like, you know, like I said earlier, get their pads sideways, get skinny, make, make yourself fit through some of the smaller holes and, run behind your pads and be a courageous runner of the football. And again, I haven't had a chance to really break down this Stanford game, but I will, I have a heavy inclination that we saw more of the same this week where on second look, I imagine that I'll see some things on tape where the running backs probably could have got a little bit more yardage out there than they actually did. So you know, obviously you have to chalk that up as a loss and we did not, you know, win that key to the game, so to speak. And it'll be interesting to kind of unpack that on, on second look. Yeah, no doubt. And I think 
where I point point to from the running back position as far as reading those blocks is Kamari. And we've praised him quite a bit this season after being extremely hard on that initial and and uh, quest, questioning that first depth chart, that initial depth chart that came out and having him as the quote-unquote starter, even though Sean McGrew is definitely seeing more snaps than Kamari is right now. But he's someone that I feel like just isn't, his vision isn't where it needs to be. He's not reading those blocks well, and he's not finding those those running lanes as well as he needs to. Um, obviously, the offensive line could probably make bigger holes for him and make it easier on him, but there's still there's still a lot more meat on that bone as far as um, the potential running lanes that the, that offensive line is giving, giving the running backs. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where, you know, in the glimpses that we saw of, of Cam Davis, I felt like he did a really good job of mm-hmm. finding those small holes and, and making in them into positive plays. So I think some of it we can chalk up to again, like we said, you know, our, in our opinion, our two best running backs really haven't been getting looks in the last two games and our running game has struggled because of that. So I think this was a tough key to the game to swallow. We definitely didn't get the job done, but I know your key to the game. I felt like we made some significant progress on and probably did win in this aspect. Yeah. And it all started with, you know, us thinking that Stanford's going to stack the box and it's been a trend that we've seen as far as opposing defenses and their scheming they're going to stack the box and until dylan morris is able to prove that he could stretch the field with his arm defenses are going to stack the box and make sure that they were prepared for our running game which has worked like decently well against our offense at times so um i think i think we saw some of that in, against stanford in this game on saturday but um Dylan definitely has made some progress over the past week and connecting on some of those deep balls. And you had three, three that come to mind for me. It was the two deep balls to Ty Jones down the sideline and then the 42 yarder to Kate Otten kind of over the middle. Some of that was run after catch, but it was still probably a 30 yard completion. Um, So those are the types of plays that's just it's those are going to loosen up the defense and allow that running game to really flourish. We can't be so reliant upon our run game while we need to run the ball. I completely agree, Sam. That's like our recipe for winning time of possession, all that stuff. Same things that Pete Carroll, you know, has hammered on his, his teams for so long as well. Um, Controlling the ball and time of possession. I completely agree, but at the same time, if you're so reliant upon that that teams can just stack the box box against you, it makes it really hard to succeed at running the ball. So you need to find some kind of other outlet on offense and stretch that field vertically to just loosen that up a little bit and actually, you know, have the defense kind of uh um what's what's the phrase that I'm looking for? like something honest, like keep you like, keep, keep them keep, honest. Yeah. Keep the defense honest, keep them on their heels, not yeah. be able to like, so don't be so predictable. Exactly. Exactly. Precisely. So I thought we did a, a better job 
at that this week, especially just Dylan Morris connecting on some of those over-the-top balls. He needs to continue to do that, and we probably need to see a little bit even more of that, take some deep shots, especially on play action um, with those stacked boxes. So that's something that I hope to see in in the games to come this year. But overall, I thought that was was something that we definitely did decently well in this game and um, well enough to win win the game for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And we had a couple other keys to the game. Our, our guest on our last episode, Justin, he had these two. I'll quickly hit on them really quick. Yep. Similarly to yours, you know, Morris hitting his receivers and, you know, having a threat in the passing game, which I think we did accomplish. And then his other one was generating pass rush and making Davis Mills uncomfortable. Big we L. did not do that. Yeah, big L. DTF didn't show up and nobody else, you know, next man up mentality. Nobody else really stepped up to the plate and generated a consistent pass rush. Like we said earlier, Davis Mills had – you know, he was very comfortable back there and had time to find his receivers and he played a really good game. So hats off to him, but we did not accomplish that key to the game in any meaning of the word of pass rush whatsoever. So you kind of look at that and, you know, we laid out a couple of things we wanted to see in order to kind of lead us to a victory. And I'd say in general, we didn't accomplish what we needed to do there. So Obviously, we come out with a tough loss, but in the grand scheme of things, it's probably a loss that you can take and handle and you still have everything to play for. Really, you know, ultimately, the only thing that the loss to Stanford takes away is the college football playoff. And I don't think anybody was under the crazy assumption that we are, you know, legitimately in the running for that this year anyway. So everything rides on this Oregon game and Pac-12 North Championship will be decided on Saturday and it's either going to be the dogs or the ducks. And obviously we all know where, where we stand on that line and we'll <laughs> get into that more this week. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and I know we, we kind of already touched on some game standouts. We went down, down the roster pretty in depth, but Connor quickly, like what were your main top players, key standouts that you really saw something from this week? Yeah. I mean, there's not a whole lot <laughs> in a loss like this. Uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But um, I mentioned him earlier and we've talked plenty about him, but I thought, I just thought that Rome Ondunze really kind of showed out and kind of had a little bit of a breakout game as a true freshman. And we've talked about the true freshman receivers and how talented they are this year, especially with Rome Ondunze and Jalen McMillan. I thought Jalen played pretty well before he got hurt as well. Like Sam said, I, th I thought he actually did catch that ball. It was at least worth a review. I don't know why they didn't review it. Um, so that's just Pac-12 recipe and Pac-12 refs again, though. Um, yep. Can't leave it in their hands because you can't trust them at all. Anyway, though, it was good to see Rome um, fill in, fill some pretty big shoes in Puka's absence and do it admirably and really – he looked explosive. He showed a little bit of everything. Showed really good hands on that third down completion. I did go back and look, and I think it was on a third and seven, if I'm remembering yeah, correctly. Yeah, that was a I was great catch. So that was an amazing catch. I mean, it was a one-handed catch that looked even more impressive on replay and slow motion than it did live. So sure go back did. and watch that. Go back and watch that, folks, because that was 
that was good hands. And he was pretty fired up after that play. So that was good to see as well. I uh, got saw good route running though, just a variety of different routes that he was on. So really expanding that route tree. And it's good to see that he's not really a one trick pony um, when it comes to routes. And then um, what was I going to say? Oh, also saw some yards after the catch from him too. And some strength. He took yep. a, he took a crossing route over the middle and had like two or three guys trying to tackle him and carried him another five or 10 yards. So that was, that was pretty cool to see as well. Just like maybe kind of that maybe all a little around. Sorry, maybe a but little baby DK action. A little bit. I'm not ready to crown him quite like that yet. Just I don't think he's there physically. But it was good to see that type of that type of yards after catch potential sure. from a true freshman, especially. So, Sam, did you have anyone else that you wanted to shout out? Kind of on their performance on Saturday. Yeah, I think obviously. You, we'd be remiss not to throw Ty Jones a bone with those two amazing catches. And yeah. I think like, you know, you got, you covered him pretty well already. And those two catches were big moments in the game really kept mm -hmm. us in it and helped us pick up some momentum. And then he is just a really solid contributor in the run game as well as a blocker. So I think he had his best game this season for sure. And arguably one of his better games in a Husky uniform. So I think he played really well. Should have had a touchdown too. Should have had a touchdown to give up what, what we what have been tied or potentially the game winning touchdown. Yeah. Damn it. Oh, actually. Yeah, no, we could have tied it. You're right. Yeah. But it either was way, 31 and 23 at that point. Yep. Yeah. So either way, I mean, he had a really solid game. Should have, like you said, had a touchdown there. But again, Pac-12 refs, we've said it a lot. We should probably <laughs> go a little bit deeper into that in our preview episode when yep. we have a bit more time. Because I think, I can't remember if it was you or Justin texted me some interesting things, but we'll leave that for for another time. But Pac-12 cool. refs are pretty awful. Um, and then offensively, I think Dylan Morris, like we said, solid game developed you know a little bit more of the deep ball that we've seen connect made a couple more connections there obviously ty jones made him look good on a on a couple of those catches but for the most part seeing that improvement from dylan morris is really a positive development for sure and then the only other person that really comes to mind honestly on the entire team is i mean no one defensively really outside of Kyler Gordon stood out to me. I, and I think Kyler I thought Elijah played, played all right. Yeah. I think he played, I mean, he played good, but he didn't have a amazing game. I think he was our most sure tackler. I thought though, even yeah. though Eddie had 18, like I thought Elijah had the most solid tackles of the night. Yeah. Elijah's our best tackler In space. always has been. I think, you know, Kyler had his positive plays, negative plays, but for, you know, breaking into the starting lineup, I felt like he played a really solid game and kind yep. of carved out a role for him on this defense. And again, you know, back to our initial conversation, it'll be interesting to see if they move him around a little bit because I think he might fit schematically and personnel-wise in a different spot a bit better than he did this week. But nine tackles in your first start out of that nickel spot, I thought he played really well and, and worth a shout-out. Yeah, and if I'm going to give anyone else a shout-out on defense, again, not many to go around here, 
Um, not so much in a coverage standpoint. I thought he struggled as much as I've seen him struggle, but Trent McDuffie obviously had the, the forced fumble. Yep. So it was good to see him just make an impact on uh, from a playmaking standpoint on, on that punch. part of the game. Yep. Had a little bit of a peanut punch, kind of a strip there that Eddie ended up taking down the sideline. And again, like Sam said, should have turned that into a touchdown, but but we didn't. We ended up kicking a field goal there, and that's that's probably the difference in the game. So anyway, obviously a very disappointing loss this last Saturday against Stanford. But if we do take a step back, Oregon lost too which their game against Cal didn't really matter as far as a Pac-12 North race because it was all going to come down to this last week anyway since they already had one loss. But obviously that (laughs) – with how rough the state of Washington's football week was to see Oregon lose against Cal was kind of our only little glimmer of of hope and shininess, shiny, shiny goodness there. But even then, it's kind of a double-edged sword because seeing them lose, it's like, shit, if we had just taken care of business today, yeah, Pac-12 North would have been ours and wrapped up and clinched. True. So Eddie said it best when, and that was before Oregon even lost, It felt he said he felt like there was a missed opportunity today against Stanford. Yep. Which I don't think you can sum it up any better than that, and especially with the way the, the results went the rest of the day and Oregon losing if this team's 4-0 right now, they are already wrapped up the Pac-12 North. But you know what? I prefer it this way, Sam. I know you hate it, but I prefer it this way. I I like, with everything on the line, I trust the Huskies to come out on top. And we've seen it before with Apple Cups, you know, two of the last, like, four or five years, I feel like. That last Apple Cup game has been the determiner of who wins the North. Yep. So, and that's what we're getting this week and albeit against Oregon and I'd rather do it against Oregon than Wazoo even. So it's officially fuck Oregon week. Hell yeah. It's duck hunting season, baby. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for this game on Saturday. It's, it's, I'm still kind of in recovery mode. I feel like from, from last night's debacle, but, um, and especially with what I just watched with the Seahawks as well, it's not a good, not a good weekend of football <laughs> in this, in this part of the country, but you know, we, at least we're watching football and it's, it's for how shitty 2020 has been. It's nice to have a little bit of normalcy to the weekends and being able to watch your, watch your teams. So for sure, fingers crossed everyone that everything goes off without a hitch this week. I really want this game to happen. I don't know if you saw this earlier. Some dude, I need to find this on Twitter right now. Softy was retweeting this guy. Some dude was calling out that if this game were to not happen this week, Washington wins the North and basically saying, we'll see what their motive, like that's obviously motivation for Washington to not play this game. So we'll see what they do this week. Yeah. It sounds like an Oregon fan. Quack, quack, quack. Yeah. Um, let me see. It was obviously before the Seahawks game. Let me just go way back here. Yeah, here we go. So it, it's George Reister, the third. Who is this dude? 
He's got even. He might give Enoch Bagshaw I'm a run for his money in terms. I'm about of fame. faith, family, fatherhood, food, sports. He's got a blue check mark. Like he's legit. He created unafraidshow.com. He's a Fox Sports radio host, I guess. Um, and he's a head coach for something. But anyway, he goes. If Washington can't play next week versus Oregon, then Washington will win the Pac-12 North. So they have incentive not to play. So we will see what the dogs do. And like softy retweeted him and he goes, what an idiotic tweet. If Washington doesn't play, it's because of genuine COVID issues, not because they wussed out chicken shit for George to even introduce that notion. And like Aaron Levine went off on this guy too. Like he got completely railed by the Seattle media. So, and rightfully so that's just like a completely out of, um, again, I'm just a bullshit tweet. It is. It's just, it's, it's out of line. That's what I was looking for. We, like it's, we it's ain't no BYU. We're no BYU. No, like it, these guys w- want to play this game. Obviously, like they want to beat Oregon. They want to win the Pac-12 North in the right way. Um, and if for some reason this game doesn't happen, it's not because they didn't want to play it. It's because there's legitimate COVID issues on one of the teams. And obviously there was a little bit of a scare going into the Stanford game. So we'll see what happens this week, but um, obviously fingers crossed and hoping that this game, this game goes off without a hitch and that we can, you know, go duck hunting and that it ends, ends with us in that Pac-12 championship against USC, I'm pretty sure. Well, actually, uh, Colorado's still undefeated too, so it could be Colorado. But mm-hmm. USC obviously took care of business against Wazoo tonight in very convincing fashion. So we'll see what happens next week in the Pac-12 South. But all all bets are that it'll probably be probably be USC coming out of the South. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting, but I'm looking forward to this week. I'm looking forward to our midweek yep. podcast episode previewing the big rivalry game for all the marbles in the Pac-12 North. We'll have a good episode for everyone, so make sure to tune into that. I'm thinking like Wednesday or Thursday again, probably for an upload, probably us recording Tuesday or Wednesday night. Yeah, for sure. That's my guess. So um, as far as other things going on in the Seattle sports scene, obviously the Seahawks had a completely even probably more disappointing loss oh, than, absolutely than the Stanford loss against a backup quarterback and Colt McCoy and a four and seven Giants team now five and seven with with their win tonight I think I think a, a team that obviously I'm not trying to make excuses but like they they've been a hot team they've won now four in a row and I don't know what the competition is and stuff like that, but their defense is obviously solid. Like they have really good, really good players on that defense. Jabril Peppers played really well today. Yeah, um, so did Leonard Williams. Leonard Williams, their whole, whole defensive line played really well. Gave our gave our offense fits, but suffice to say, our our offense is broken right now, and Russell's broken, and we'll see what happens. I have faith that they'll figure it out before the end of the year, but they got to do it quick here because they have some, they can't be losing too many more games here. Um, if they're wanting to get in a good spot in the playoffs, as far as seating goes. So yeah. we'll see what happens on, on the Seahawks front and we'll 
have plenty more to say, I'm sure, in a future episode on on updates on the Seahawks. But also, we have a big Sounders match tomorrow night, or tonight, I guess, when this goes up. Monday night, 6 or 6.30, I think. I should double-check that. Um, against Minnesota. It's at home at, at Lumen Field, though. Let me just double-check the, the time on this. Yep, 6.30. And that, is that on FS1 again, or is it ESPN? it doesn't say here i think it's on fs1 but don't quote me on that if it's not on fs1 it's for sure on espn so it's on one of those networks guys definitely watch that western conference final um if they win they will advance to the mls cup against the columbus crew which will be in columbus so because the crew won today sunday uh they will host the mls cup so no matter what the result is in the Western conference final, the crew will host the MLS cup. Hopefully it's the Sounders going over to Ohio and defending their, their MLS cup trophy. So that'll be a, that'll be an exciting game to watch. Um, yeah, other sure. than that, I just, I just yeah, double checked and it is in fact on FS one FS one. Yeah. So there you go. 30. Check it out. Root definitely on the tune Sounders. in folks. Yep. Definitely tune in support your local Seattle teams. Um, other than that, thanks for listening, folks. As always, we appreciate the support and subscribe and follow. If you haven't already, we're on all major podcast platforms, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your platform or where if you listen to your podcast while doing really well towards the end of this episode. <laughs> and then obviously leave us a message via that anchor link in our description be like Enoch Bagshaw and come back from the grave and leave us a message. Was that good enough for you tonight, Enoch? <laughs> Let me know what you think, boss. Yeah, for sure. Leave us another message, Enoch. I'd love it. So, but anyway, until next time. Go dogs. <laughs>